Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes. I'm your host, Tom Fold. In these episodes, we will meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and heal, even under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who, in this time of crisis, are offering their hearts and talents to us all. And I'm very happy to have today the very special guest, Maya French, who is the co-artistic director and managing director of a wonderful nonprofit organization called Palava Strings up in Portland, Maine. Welcome to you, Maya. Thank you, Tom. I'm very glad to have you here. I think what you're doing is wonderful. So let's start by explaining to people what Palava Strings is about and a little bit maybe about how it came into being. Yeah, so Palavry Strings, as you said, is a nonprofit, um, but more importantly, a musician-led string orchestra. Um, we are based in Portland, Maine. We're in our eighth season, so we became a nonprofit in 2014. And it's made up right now of 12 um, youngish uh, string, professional string players um, who are all core artistic directors of the ensemble and make decisions around artistic planning and artistic vision together. Any program you see has kind of been curated and voted upon by that group of um, ensemble members and artistic directors. We moved to Portland um, back in 2018. We, we originally formed in Boston, where we, a lot of us went to music school or music conservatory for our various string instruments. And um, we moved to Portland in 2018 in, in order to start a community music school. So that's kind of half of what we do in addition to the performance component. And our school is called the Palover Music Center. And it is after school. At its heart, it's an after school strings music program for students ages four through 12th grade eventually, but we're only in our third year. So we're right now four through second grade. Uh, we also have an early childhood music component that helps recruit those four year old students, um, which is basically like teaching music as a first language to um, about 180 students in early childhood daycare centers around the city of Portland. That, that's very funny. I'm sorry, but I just had an image when you said recruit. I'm recruiting four-year-olds. Exactly. Yeah, that's an important process. It's also their families, of course. But right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what is it that you you tell them, or why why are they interested? I mean, I, I love music and I love string music, but what would a four-year-old or a parent of a four-year-old want to know about this? Well, I mean, we start by just teaching music like singing and doing movement with these with these students in their childhood center with their teachers. So their parents aren't involved. So it's like during their school day. And that's right. ages like six weeks to four. So it's like six weeks to pre-K age, pre-kindergarten age. And then and then both the year before they go into kindergarten, we offer a introduction to strings course. So it's an opportunity for students to receive um, it's sliding scale tuition. So it's it's a lot of families who are low income and they can attend for free, um, but they receive like an introduction to a violin, viola, or cello through a group class learning instrument. And it's, we have some gifted teachers who are experienced with teaching young students, and it's a very fun endeavor. They start with like fake um, plywood instruments that they can draw on and learn how to hold and learn how to take care of before they get a little mini cello or violin or viola. And then they take that class with us for um, 10 weeks. Um, it's been a little different during the pandemic, but about 10 weeks in the spring. And then hopefully we'll start in our regular kindergarten program in the fall when they start kindergarten. 
Right. So that's your school program. But yeah. mostly beyond that, you are a performing program. Or what's yeah. what is that program made up of? And why are you doing that? Well, the performance program is really the heart and and soul of Palo is why we started. We like to say that we balance performance and education equally, um, but the the ensemble, our mission as an organization is to create um, and inspire community through music. And we do that through our collaborative process. And we found we were founded by doing a lot of like fundraising events for, for organizations that we cared about personally. So we would, a member would say, oh, I, I wanna do something for this mental health organization. And we would curate a program and fundraise, but quickly realized that that wasn't really the biggest way to make an impact because we weren't going to make, you know, a huge amount of money in a concert like that when we could really be using our platform and ability to perform as more of like a space for reflection on different social issues or a space for collaboration with different kinds of artists or art mediums um, or any other kind of person or, or speaker or storyteller. So a lot of our programming has that social justice component. We've done concerts um, about climate change, about mental health, about immigration. Um, we've done just musical concerts. We've done dance collaborations, visual art, acting. Um, and it, well, let, me, it, let me interrupt to say, when you say you do a concert about, you know, immigration or something, what, what does that mean? I mean, is it just special music for immigration or is it someone talking in addition to the playing? So it's usually based on um, partnership with with um, existing organizations. So, for instance, we're we're doing this program. We've done three times, twice already. Once in Boston and once in Portland before the pandemic. Um, we're doing it around the state of Maine in a few weeks. It's called Welcome Here, um, and it's a it's showcasing musicians and storytellers from the Puerto Rican, Congolese, and Wabanaki, which is our indigenous um, tribe here in Maine. Um, it's featuring musicians and storytellers from those three groups. Um, and we are just backing them up. Essentially, they're performing music and telling stories from their communities. Um, these are people who are based in Maine, but um, who represent these communities. And, and so it's an experience for audience members to really understand some of the newer immigrant communities and then some of our indigenous people um, here in Maine. And I don't know, create, um, it creates empathy and understanding and the audience kind of will interact with the visual art installation during that time to kind of reflect on the things that are being talked about and sung about. So that's an example. And you're, so you're including music. I mean, you say sung about yeah. also, is it, is there a, a playing of classical music or of strings? It's, it's where the whole ensemble, the orchestra is backing up um, these musicians singing traditional Congolese, Puerto Rican, and Wabanaki songs. So it's not, we're not playing classical music, but we're, we're playing their styles of music um, basically as a backup band and represent. We're using music to enhance, enhance exactly. what they're yeah. saying. Yes. Yeah. And what is the wish? If, I, if you're a, a string player, as you all are, what, why, not why, but what is your hope to you know, use the music to help people, like you just said, but also what about just hearing your play? What do you just do concerts where people listen? Oh yeah, we, we have about 40 concerts a year and, and um, they're broken into like five or six different program concepts. So we perform in Maine, but all over New England and New York and things like that. Um, we're starting to perform live again, yay. <laughs> um, and 
And so we people can see us and every time they come to see Palaver at a different month, it's going to be a different kind of program musical experience. So we just played um, Richter's Four Seasons, which is a recomposed, reimagined version of Vivaldi's Four Seasons last last month in March. And so, you know, we have a plethora of events and there's something for everybody. Um, well, how, how do you expose people to this. I mean, one thinks of, of, quote, classical music or music played by strings as something that is classical and is not the popular music. So you're asking for a popular um, audience, let us say, to attend something that's a little different. How do you reach out to them? Um, we it's a, it's a lot about partnership and i think like some for instance this upcoming show in april is featuring a lot of different people that are not in the classical world and so we're offering all of their communities comp tickets we do a lot of marketing to try to reach people but it's something we're still working on is trying to get um younger people in the door we often there's a amazing organization called group news that's um, started in boston but is really prominent in pretty much every major city around the country um, and it started as like a house concert platform for hosting classical music concerts in living rooms. And now it's like in all, any kind of alternative space, which is a lot of the spaces and kinds of places that Palaver likes to perform in anyways. But we've done many group muses. We started by doing mostly group muses and in our houses in Boston, but also um, in warehouses and in art galleries and things like that. And the idea is that it's making the experience much more informal. So there's, there's like, usually you can bring your own beverage, you can sit on the floor, you can be really close to the musicians, and that's a way to make it much more accessible. Well, um, yes, and that was one of the things that I was thinking about. Uh, having grown up in New York City and having you know, very famous music halls and being fortunate enough to have a family that wanted, you know, that was musical and wanted me to learn, I would go to concerts, but that was concerts with a big C. And mm -hmm. like, you know, you had to behave and you had, it did not feel close. It felt, well, it was, I happened to like it, it was very nice. But I was just thinking about the, the audiences that you're talking to. I like the idea of having them be, feel comfortable and be, this is like, more, this is nothing, it's not that it isn't special, it is special, but it's nothing restricted. Right, and we, we tend to perform, we don't have a home-based like performance venue, um, and it, when we were in Boston, um, like I said, we still perform there often, but we perform in all sorts of different venues, so we're not really like, and, and, and they're not really the traditional ones, that's kind of how Palo Reformed is wanting to kind of go outside of the classical music box in terms of space and accessibility and and reach people in a different way. And we are, I think we'll forever be working on ways to do that innovatively and, and more successfully. And you're reaching people who don't normally get reached and who don't normally right. learn through this method, which is quite fascinating and wonderful. And now your musicians, the, the people who are part of your collective are, is everybody, all these co-artistic directors, are they the only musicians or do you have other musicians that you bring in for events? Well, like I said, we sometimes have guest artists. We have, we're, we're getting pieces commissioned by new composers. Um, last last month we were performing with a harp player and a harpsichord. Um, we perform with vocalists sometimes, but the string ensemble, the, the core musician ensemble is a 13 person instrumentation. So it's like a tripled string quartet. That means there <laughs> are six violins, three violas, three cellos, and then we have one bass player, a stand up bass. So um, we currently have 12, 
co-artistic directors and we have one empty violin spot. So we do have a really robust guest list, like a sub list um, of friends and colleagues that we call when certain members can't play a concert or um, to fill empty spots that we have. I know, are most of these 12 from that living around that area or are they all over New England? Um, mostly, yeah, we're all around New England. We have, um, we have a few of us here in Portland, some in mid coast Maine and then um, Boston, several in Boston, some in Providence and New Hampshire. And then our guest artists often will come from Boston or New York. Right. Yeah. This, this sounds wonderful. I mean, really moving this music and this way of learning is, is just delightful. Um, do you, you said you went into schools. Do you go into schools with performances? Um, we do. We used to a lot when we were, when we formed in Boston, we obviously didn't have our own community music school program. So we would often work with different music schools around the city, like, or, um, elementary schools that offered music education around Boston. Um, and we do tend to do some kind of random school concerts. We've worked a little bit with Colby recently, um, we're working with the Maine Children's Museum and Theater, which is a new organization or updated organization. And um, it just depends on the concert we're doing. Um, but we do have this after school program, which is very linked to the Portland Public Schools. So we'll have most of our students are coming from a public school into our program after school. Right. And your performers, your, your, your co-artistic directors, they create different pieces and and you for each performance or a performance? Yeah, they we we curate our programs. So like you would at our exhibit, um, we come right. up with a concept. So there are, like I said, five to six a year. Um, we also have like a chamber series, which is smaller subsets of the group that happens every year. And um, like next year, we're doing a Baroque program that's really out of the box. It's gonna be performed in like breweries with like lighting. We're doing a um, jazz trio collaboration with a jazz trio from um, New York with um, Mary Lou Williams Zodiac Suite. We're doing a whole uh, program with a Syrian clarinetist, Keenan Osme, who's amazing. He's from Silk Road Ensemble. Um, it's music he's written. And then um, and we're doing a, a thing with a good a bassist from New York City, this amazing bassist, Kebra, which is centered around gospel music. Um, and then something with a tenor. So each program is different. And usually a Palaver member, a co-artistic director has worked on that program from the beginning to come up with the concept and saying they want to work with this person and play this style of music and or these styles of music and putting together a program that's cohesive and that will hopefully impact our audience. Um, and then it goes as far as them like coordinating the rehearsals when we go into rehearsing that program a week before we perform it and you know, picking venues that that would be ideal for the performances and, and everything like that. Well, you know what you just did? You just answered a question I haven't asked yet. <laughs> and that was, why would an individual musician want to do this? I mean, as opposed to playing for a large symphony or something, but you just explained it. My God, to having all that creative ability, the ability to, to select and to work with and to build something. That's mm -hmm. quite fascinating. I That's the reason. That. And it's, it's conductorless, so it's musician-led, and, and we have different musicians leading each rehearsal of each piece. We rotate, so it's pretty even. Like, we're never, like, standing in the same places when you come see. So if you see one piece, then we'll rotate, and a different violinist will be in the front, you know, leading the ensemble. So it's truly collaborative, and we've, we've learned and created a, quite a strict process for it, but it's definitely um, 
something we've created ourselves, which is really special. What's fascinating, is there, as far as you know, at least in the East, is there any other organization that works like this? Um, there are many musical organizations that do work like this. Um, one of them is called A Far Cry. They're about 10, 10 years our senior. They're based in Boston, A Far Cry Orchestra. They're incredible. Um, and they work in this musical model where they're musician led. They often perform with more musicians, like 17, I think, string players to 20 or something. Um, and but they do perform in more like conventional spaces um, and probably have less of a social justice oriented part of their right. programming. Um, and then uh, Orpheus is in New York. They're probably like the OG conductorless orchestra. Um, they are like uh, all different instruments, like a chamber orchestra style thing. So they do have some brass and winds and percussion, um, but they, they're maybe 50 years old or something like that. Well, now during the pandemic, obviously things had to change. As you said, you're now getting back to going on, you know, per, in, in person. But are you still going to keep some of the, the Zoom type things? Is that was that part of your program? And does that work for you? Yeah. So we during the pandemic, we were really lucky because we are a smaller organization to continue our operations. I mean, we do have each of the musicians is an employee of the organization. And we have some teachers who are not musicians who are teaching. We have some operational staff and things like that. So we were able to keep everyone on as as employees, thanks to PPP protection. Um, right. But we. Uh, yeah, and so we did a full season of just virtual performances where basically the musicians would gather with COVID safety measures and we would have a, a video filmed performance of each of these concepts. And that was the whole last season, which was like September 2020, what, what, what year am I at? 2020 to, to June 2021. Right. And then um, this year we've resumed live concerts very cautiously starting in November. Um, but we are filming one of those concerts for each cycle. So there's like a YouTube, free YouTube version that's put up later that people can go watch. And we'll probably keep some of that, at least. Um, it is, we love our videographer and um, we have ability to record ourselves. So it's, it's really helpful to have that kind of archive of all the stuff we're doing. It is wonderful to be able to go back and look at it because sometimes you go to a performance, you say, oh my God, I wish I could see that again. Right. Have some of them filmed or videoed, that would be great. So we're uh, amazingly almost out of time here. Um, it just has been a delightful conversation and I'm so glad that your organization exists. That's really, I think it's quite wonderful. Now, if other people are as excited about this as I am, who are listening to us now and they would like to get in touch and find out more, maybe find out dates where you're playing and so forth, how's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, that's a great question. They can find us on our website, which is www.palaver, P as in Paul, A, L as in Lake, A, V as in Victor, E, R, strings.org. So palaverstrings.org. Okay. And um, that, that will have a full list of our events. It has contact information if you want to contact me or other people. Um, for booking things, um, has a whole definition of what we do and why we do it and, and archives for how you can listen to our music, which is, um, you can see these video recordings on YouTube. We are just releasing a new album next next Friday, April 15th, um, which is uh, featuring all works by female composers from the Renaissance to today. That was a pandemic project and it's through a label called Zika Records. We're really excited about it. So you can find all that information on our website. 
That's quite wonderful. I guess the only other question I have, and not that I couldn't ask many, many more, I'm, I'm delighted by what you're doing and how it's done. What vision do you have now that things are getting, quote, back to normal, if that's the case, if there is such a thing as normal? What is your vision for the future, near term and maybe long term? Yeah, I think um, Palaver is in a epic phase of growth right now. We we have started back in 2014, as I mentioned, became a nonprofit, and we're paying our musicians nothing. And now um, we have a budget that's going to surpass 500,000 this year, um, ending in June. So it's it's grown very significantly over the past eight years, and um, we have big hopes and dreams. We're trying to to create a sustainable living for our musicians. And it's not like each musician doesn't do this full-time, but some of us do. Some of us are teachers, administrators, and performers in the organization. So it's like our main career. And um, we just really want it to be sustainable and to value everyone's work. Um, and we're trying to you know, figure out benefits and all of those things. So that's kind of the, the big focus of our vision for the future. And to just continue to, to reaching more people through accessible means of performance in different spaces. Um, I think we're interested in becoming like a model of kind of creative and collaborative leadership uh, as well. I think it sounds like a very good model. So Maya, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been a delight. And as you, go, as you grow, we'll have to do another show. Thank you so much, Tom. All right, take, take good care now. Thank you.